So I'm going to, uh, yeah, we're going to start with the little children. God's heart for little children. I, I, I'm, yeah, th th those three verses there uh, could easily fill the time just on those three verses, but I'm not going to do that. But, but I want to just highlight here what I think the essence of what is in this. The little children were brought to him, verse 13, that he might put his hands on them, pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. It, it, I think a lot of this we know is probably not new, but why were they forbidden? I, I think quite simply in the mind of the disciples, these children were not important. It's like, they're not a big deal. Um, it, 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 it's kind of maybe in their mind that, that Jesus has got bigger things to deal with than these little kids. And there may be a little bit of a distraction or an, an, even an annoyance in their mind. And, and so I think that's probably the logic that's in their mind that, that, that I don't, you know, don't bother him with this. And, and again, simply the fact that they really in their mind didn't matter. But of course, that's, that's not the heart of God and that's not the heart of the Lord Jesus. And, and you see it so beautifully and so wonderfully in Jesus' response to them. And I, and I highlighted there that this is the heart of God. What is God's heart like towards Little children, I've got three things here. Number one, little children have value to God. They are important to him. And, and we cannot deny that when we see what Jesus does here in this situation. And, and he, he values those children and he places an importance on them in that moment. And he rebukes the disciples for them thinking that these children were not important and they were not significant. I think, I think we would all agree with that. I'm sure that if I went around and said, do you think children are important? You probably would say, yes, I think they are important. But the challenge is in, in, in showing kindness and, and valuing children the way that we ought to in a practical way to take the time Whatever children are in your life, and maybe some of you have got a lot of children that you interact with, maybe some of you don't, but they take the time to listen to their little lives and their little stories and to come down to their level and value them and appreciate them and spend time with them. I may have shared the story with you before, but I, I will never forget it. Um, I was When I was a principal of the Christian school in Peterborough, there was a, a mother who uh, a single mom wanted to bring her child to the school um, and this woman came and she met me we met in the hallway of the school she was walking down the hallway and she had her daughter with her and her daughter was i think in grade three at that time quite young it's a little girl obviously and when they walked into the door in, into the hall and they came down and and i and i and i walked out and i met them and i got right down on my knees and i put my hand out and i shook hands with her daughter Rachel were still good friends after all of those years. Shook hands with her and I stood up and then I talked, had a little talk with Rachel and then I stood up and I talked to her mom. And uh, anyway, long story short, her mom decided to enroll her daughter in the school, very expensive, big decision. And at some point, I'm not sure where it was, she said to me, she said, do you know why I chose this school? And I said, why? She said, because when you met us in the hall, you got down right to my daughter's level and you looked her in the eyes and you treated her like a person. And that made an impact 
on that mother. And can I just encourage you, and I'm sure you do, but can I encourage you again to treat little children as full people, human beings that God values and God loves and cares for. It is in, in my life, I have had interaction with children on so many levels as a teacher, uh, in camp ministry, and I love spending time with little children and ministering to them. Sometimes in, in those experiences, just being with those little kids is a motivation. They have value. They are important. Little children are also vulnerable. I gotta show you something here. Don't know how that got in there. You know, any anytime I have an opportunity to brag about our grandchildren, I'm gonna do it. So I just put that out there, but there they are. And, and you think of the vulnerability of those little ones. Um, I, I, the heart of God to protect little children. If you just flip back for a moment to chapter 18 and verse 10, chapter 18 and verse 10, and I'm sure uh, this was covered, but I just want to highlight this verse again. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The heart of God to protect the little ones, his heart for them. When my children were little and uh, putting them into bed at night, or just even when I was laying in my bed at night thinking about them, I prayed for them and I prayed based on that verse that I just read there in Matthew 18 verse 10. I prayed that God would protect my little ones, that his angels would surround my little ones and they would keep them. Now I pray that, I still pray that for my kids, but they're not little anymore, but I pray it for these little ones now that God would surround them and that God would keep them. Little children are vulnerable and the heart of God is sensitive to that and he cares for them. And thirdly, little children are humble. They are humble. This amazing statement that Jesus makes that of such is the kingdom of heaven. And there's so much in there, but when, when you think about young children, little children, they trust, don't they? They, they trust you and they believe, and, and that makes them vulnerable, and we understand that as adults, and so we need to be careful and, and, and protective of them. But the beauty of that is there, there's a simplicity in them that they just take at value what you say, and they trust you, and they believe you. Isn't it interesting how, how they get older, the kids get older, and, uh, and as adults, we become more cynical, don't we? We become more skeptical. But one of the beauties of little children, they're not like that. There's an innocence in their mind. There's a there's a trustness, a trust, tr an ability to trust in them that I think the Lord Jesus is connecting here to the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you've got to absolutely trust me. And so the heart of little children is the heart that we need to have if we're going to come into the kingdom of God. So I'd love to spend the whole morning on that, but I'm going to move on now. We're going to think about this person that's referred to as the rich young ruler and i've got four four knots okay four knots n-o-t-s um by the way am i supposed to end at 12 o'clock oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome well i'm gonna back up is it 12 12 right Okay, good. I just looking up. I thought it was twelve fifteen, and I'm going. Well, I got a ton of time anyway. So I've got four knots, four knots here. Okay, here we go. 
So here's the first knot in the story of this guy. First of all, number one, not knowing who Jesus was. That's the first thing. He did not really know who Jesus was. Notice verse 16. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, and Jesus goes on, but notice what he says. He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. And then he goes on if you want to enter into life. I put a definition there, the, the Greek word for the word good that, that, that uh, is used here in this passage, excelling in any respect, honorable, good. The, the, this young man comes to the Lord Jesus and clearly he sees him as a, a good person, a, a, a good teacher, a great teacher, but he did not see him as being God, clearly, right? And Jesus understands that that's what's going on here. And 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 no way when you read that can we take that as Jesus saying that he wasn't God. He was he was deferring away from that. He's simply following the thinking that's in the mind of this young man who doesn't see Jesus as being God. He just sees him as being a good teacher. And so Jesus is going along with that in his mind. This is the one of the most important, if not the most important issue in terms of our relationship with God. What do we think about Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? It's the big issue. It is the main issue. And so here comes this guy who has this great respect for Jesus, great honoring towards him, but he does not believe that he is God. Some would say that Jesus never said that he was God. And can I just take you to one passage, and I've highlighted it here, and don't lose your spot in Matthew 19. We're going to come right back. But go to John's Gospel, chapter 10. And in God's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, you've got the Lord Jesus interacting with the religious leaders, and there's this thing going on, this back-and-forth conversation. And in there, if you back up to verse 29, John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 29, it says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says this, he says, I and my Father are one. And the response of the Jews indicates what they were thinking, what Jesus was saying when he said, I and my Father are one. It says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself God. Now there is no question, it is absolutely clear, crystal clear to me in that passage, that what Jesus was implying when he said, I am my father are one, he's saying, I'm God. I'm one with him. We are one in the same. And they understood that. They didn't take that as some kind of a, you know, cryptic thing. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying when he made that statement. That's why they picked up the stones. That's why they were going to stone him to death. And they make it clear in what is said in verse 33, you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus certainly viewed himself as being God, the Son of God, God in flesh. There's no question about that. C.S. Lewis put this idea forward, and, I, and, I, and it fits in this story here of this rich young ruler, that Jesus thinking of himself as being God, either he was lying, right, about that, number one, or, or, or he was out of his mind, the way C.S. Lewis puts it, liar, lunatic, or Lord. I'm sure many of you have heard that story before. 
liar. He was lying. He was a lunatic. He was out of his mind. Whereas he said he's Lord. It's got to be one of the three, right? And, and if Jesus is a good teacher, if, if, and, and, and if you talk to people today out, out there about who Jesus is, someone did deny that he never existed. That's really a, I don't want to say what kind of thinking that is, to deny that he ever existed. Most people will know that Jesus existed, that he was real, that he was a historical figure, but who was he? And, and many people will say he was a good teacher, he was an honorable person, he taught good things, he did good things. But many will not go as far as to say he was God. But if he is a good teacher, if he's an honorable person, then he's saying that he's God, is he lying when he says that? Or is he deluded when he says that? And if he's lying, why would you trust someone that would lie? How can Jesus be a good teacher and at the same time be a liar? It doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up, right? And so Jesus completely loses all credibility as a good teacher if he's lying about the fact that he's the son of God. It just doesn't work. So if we say Jesus is a good teacher, but he was lying about being the son of God, he's not a good teacher anymore. He's lost that. So, so what about the idea that he's deluded then, right? Well, Jesus taught a lot of good things, and we got these great stories of Jesus, and he was kind, and he was compassionate, and he was nice to little children, and all that. He was, he was really a good man, but, but he was out of his mind. <laughs> Again, how credible is the teaching and the life and the example of the Lord Jesus if he was out of his mind, not in his right mind, that deluded that he would think that he was absolutely God. He completely loses credibility on both of those counts. And so in that logic of C.S. Lewis, we come back to this. Either he is legitimately that, or he is an imposter and a liar, and you can't trust him, or he really is the Son of God, and he really is God, and he really is Lord. You see, your answer to that question makes all the difference in your relationship with God. It makes all of the difference. It is essential in saving faith to believe that Jesus Christ is God. And this is a truth that separates and divides people. This is a big one, right? And maybe you're listening this morning, you're here this morning, you're listening, I'm not sure if you're doing this online, but you're listening online to what this is, and you're like, I think Jesus was a good person. I've had people say to me into conversations, People that, you know, struggling with faith and not believing and you're sharing the gospel with them. And, and, and I've heard, I've had people say this to me on several occasions. If I could have a Bible that just had the, you know, the red letter edition, right? If all I had was the teaching of Jesus and the word, I believe that, but I don't believe any of the rest of the Bible. <laughs> so what they're saying is that Jesus is a credible person, right? He's the real deal. There's nothing fake about Jesus or phony. I would trust him, but I don't trust the church and I don't trust any other Christian. I don't trust anything else, but I trust Jesus. If you do, and Jesus says he's God, what are you going to do with that truth? Is he God? And is he Lord? This is the issue that is in the mind, I think unknowingly, in the heart of this young ruler as he comes to Jesus, as he puts this statement forth to him, good teacher, and then what things shall I do? I'll get into that in a moment. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. 
And again, Jesus isn't denying the fact that he's God here. He's simply following the mind. If you think I'm good, why, why are you putting confidence in me? The person we need to put confidence in is God. And really, in a sense, Jesus is pointing to the fact, I think, in that very statement, that he is God. So this young man does not know who Jesus is. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Here's the second not. He's not realizing that works can't save. He doesn't realize that. Again, in his logic, and it's the logic of many people, that if I'm going to get to heaven, i got to do something good, right? If I'm going to earn favor with God, and he's looking at Jesus saying he's a good teacher, he knows a lot about God, he's not seeing him as God, but he's thinking he seems like he's got the answers. So what is the good thing that I need to do? What good thing shall I do that I may inherit or have eternal life? And so Jesus goes along with him. I understand that what Jesus is not saying here is that, okay, if you, you know, keep all the rules, you're going to get to heaven. But he's following the logic in this person. He's leading him somewhere, okay, in this conversation. So Jesus says to him uh, in verse 18, or, or, or he asked, or Jesus says to him and back in verse 17, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, I love this, he says, which ones? You know, if you if can just give me a few commandments, Lord, you like literally, it, and I'm wondering if it, in his mind is this, do you want me to really keep all of them? Like, is it like all of them that you want me? And so, so he asks the question, which ones? I, I love that. And Jesus gives him a list here, murder, you know, adultery, the classic one, stealing, bear, lying, bearing false witness, honor your father and mother. Hmm, we might struggle with that one a bit, maybe, I'm not sure. But then, then he nails him with this one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's like that's one of those all-encompassing ones, right? And we, we could go further ahead in, in Matthew's gospel, and we're not going to do that. We find in another conversation that Jesus has, you will get into it eventually. I'm not sure who's speaking on that that Sunday, but there's two commandments. Jesus says, I want to summarize it all. I want to summarize all the commandments for you. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he summarizes it all in that. And, and that there puts in front of this young man, and, and it's Jesus saying, there's commandments here, and this is what you, if you want to do something good, what, what is it? Keep the commandments. And, and here he lays these things out to Jesus. The young man says to him in verse 20, he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. I've done all of this. I've done it all. Now, whether that was true or not, I mean, we can obviously... Jesus could have said, well, you know, I got to think of a name here. <laughs> Albert. <laughs> Sorry if there's someone named Albert here. I'm sitting there going, whose name can I use that I don't want to offend anyone here this morning? So if you're named Albert, forgive me. But uh, Albert, you know, remember the time, you remember the time I could go back, you know, can you imagine how Jesus could have went back and said, I don't know if you loved your neighbor the way you should have that day. Or, or maybe, there, there were, maybe there was a bit of mistruth, Albert, there in that moment, but Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He, he, he follows along with this logic, all things I have kept from my youth, what, shall, what do I still lack? And Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have. This guy has the idea that he has kept all the commandments, but Jesus says there's something lacking. There's still something lacking. Interesting, the meaning of that word lack, I, I, I put it down on the screen because it, it, it ties in so perfectly with the essence of the gospel, doesn't it? 
The, the idea of lacking is to fall behind or to fall short some way you are inferior or deficient. And I think, you know, the word, we get that, right? The, the word lack means that Jesus is saying something's missing here. You, you, you think you've lived perfectly, but you haven't, and I'm pointing that out to you. And, and Jesus, like I said, he doesn't slam him with the sin. He just reminds him there's something missing in your life. I, I, when I think of that statement of lack and what it means, I think, of course, of Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no amount of good, and this is, this is a struggle for people, and, and I get it, I understand it, because logically would we not think that if we want to get to heaven, we got to do a bunch of good things and keep all these commandments and keep all these rules, and we're going to get there, and I understand that that makes sense, right? You work hard, you get rewarded. You work hard, and you get rewarded. But in God's kingdom, it just doesn't work. Because the problem is sin is there between us and God, and no amount of good that we can do can deal with the issue of our sin. And it isn't that we shouldn't live good lives, and it isn't that we shouldn't good, do good things in our lives. And clearly, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, there's, a, there's a, an obligation on us, isn't there, to live lives that are pleasing to God, to live out good works in our life. But the problem is, that's not what gets us to heaven. That's not what earns the eternal life. And Jesus says, there's something lacking in you. There's something lacking. It's so beautiful, the response, and we don't have it here in Mark's, or pardon me, in, uh, yeah, in, in this gospel, Matthew, but if you were to go to Mark's gospel, you have the response, and I put it on, on uh, the PowerPoint outline. <laughs> this, is, this is the way Jesus felt about this young man. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. He, he, he didn't condemn him, right? He's, he's leading him to truth. He, he's, his heart is to see him come to the place where he will understand and he will yield and surrender to who Christ is. But he's not there yet. But the heart of Jesus is love and compassion for this person. God's heart of love is there for people who sincerely try, I believe, I believe, that are trying so hard to get to heaven, to earn their way. They are trying to live good lives. They are religious people and, 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 and trying to live in their religion the way that they think they're going to get to God. They are doing good because they want to. I'm convinced that God loves people. Because the motivation is there. The problem is they're blind to the fact, not realizing that we're and it's compassion and it's love in the heart of the Lord Jesus that leads him to say to this young man, I love you for your heart. I love you for your passion. I love you for what you're trying to do, but you're missing the mark. You're lacking. He was not, he did not know who Jesus was or who Jesus is. He did not realize, he's not realizing that works can't save. And thirdly, and this is the issue. This is going to be the, the crux of the whole matter in this conversation. He's not willing to surrender to him. Not willing to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to him, he says, you're lacking something, I'll tell you. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come 
and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, when you read that, you may almost take out of that that what Jesus is saying here is that, well, you've, done, you've kept all the commandments, now I want you to do more good works, and you do these more good works by giving everything away, and then you're going to earn your way to heaven. That's not what's going on here. Jesus isn't saying, give everything away, and then you're going to earn your way to heaven. What this is ultimately is Jesus saying, I want you to let go of everything that you have and let go of your life, and I want you to absolutely, totally trust me. You see, that's what's involved in following Jesus Christ. This really, in a sense, is, as I put here, the surrender of saving faith. Jesus is calling this person, I want you to just leave everything. Be willing to leave everything, let go of everything, and absolutely trust me. Again, now this goes back to what? This goes back to the issue of who Jesus is, doesn't it? <laughs> because, because if Jesus is a good teacher, and he's a, he's a great teacher and all of that, but man, to give up everything for a good teacher just doesn't make sense. If he could see in that moment, if he, he was able to see and to realize who Jesus is, the person of Jesus Christ, there would be a recognition in his heart to say he is worthy of everything. And I am willing to let everything go to follow him, to follow him, to believe in him, to have faith in him, to trust him. And our willingness to follow Jesus depends on what we think of him and who we think he is. Is he God? Is he Lord? If so, is he not worthy of everything that we have and worthy to give it to him? The challenge here is one of faith and trust and understanding who Jesus Christ is and being willing to surrender the life to him. And that really is the stumbling block so often in people coming to Christ, isn't it? What do I need to do? Um, you know, and, 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 and I've done this, and is that not good enough for God? And, and to come to the realization that nothing I do is ever going to make up for the lack that is in my life, and only Jesus Christ dying on a cross for us, and giving his life for us and for our sin, only that work is the thing that can save us. And so Jesus doesn't say to him, keep all the commandments. He says, follow me, follow me, trust in me, have faith in me, believe in me. Salvation is not in a ritual. It is not in rules. It is not in religion. It is in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling this young man to relationship. You let go of everything, and you commit your life to me. And he wasn't willing to do it, and he walked away from that situation. There's one more not here in the list, not knowing who Jesus is, not realizing that works can't save, not willing to surrender to him finally. This one goes to the, the disciples, not believing that all things are possible. The statement that Jesus makes here uh, in verse 24, uh, when he says, again, I say to you, and, and, and the, the guy has walked away, 
and, and Jesus backing up to verse 23 said to the disciples, assuredly I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, he goes further with this, verse 24, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples heard it. They were astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Some have suggested, and, and this, if you do a little research on this, you'll come across the, I don't want to throw this completely under the bus, but the idea that there was a gate in the city of Jerusalem somewhere, and the camels would come, and they were loaded, and it was called the eye of the needle, and the camels had to get down on their knees and take the load off and go through the gate. There's no evidence that that is true, and there's no evidence that that's what Jesus was speaking about. And I, and I, and I understand, you know, it's a great story, and it, the problem with that story even is that it's possible for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. And the point that Jesus is making here is that it is impossible. And, and I see this quite simply as, as I put it here, a literal metaphor, an impossible metaphor that Jesus is using here. There's no way, humanly speaking, that this can work. That people are going to be willing to let go of self and of life and of everything that they have and just completely and totally trust God. That is the analogy that is being made here. So that from a human perspective, it's impossible. We can't do it on our own. The, the disciples would have seen especially rich people as being people that were righteous. And I understand we've kind of turned that on its head. And if you're rich, I apologize. But I think generally speaking, people in all our culture, I guess we're all rich really compared to the world, right? But generally people look at rich people with kind of a level of mistrust. Not in that day. It was different. If someone was wealthy in their mind, it was a, it was a, an evidence of blessing. And so when Jesus says the rich, it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom of heaven in their mind. No one then is going to get there. No one is going to be saved. How then can they be saved? But, but Jesus, as I said, is, is putting here a thing where he's saying it, it's, it's impossible on a human level. We can't come to that in ourselves, but it is possible through God. It is God who brings the person to the point in their life to understand that I absolutely need God and to come to that place to surrender the life to Christ and to believe in faith in him. Jesus says, he looked at them and said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The Holy Spirit working in the life of the individual, revealing what? Revealing who Jesus is, that he is God, the Son of God. And in that light of revelation, the realization that I need him, I absolutely need him, and people being willing to believe and trust Jesus to surrender their lives to him, to literally surrender their all to him, and to follow Jesus Christ. It is only possible through God and the work of God in us that we come to that place. Can I just encourage you on a practical note that um, in this area, never to give up hope on someone coming to Christ. We may at times, uh, you know, and, and I, sometimes maybe there's individuals that we're thinking about, or, or maybe they're just going through a really, really bad place in their life, um, or, or they're not believers, and, 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 and they've had the opportunity, and you've had interaction, or others have had interaction, and, and they've turned away, and they have no interest. And sometimes we get it in our mind, there's no way they are beyond hope 
they can't be reached. But the principle that, that Jesus is bringing out here, again, let's grab a hold of that this morning, that with God, all things are possible. There, there is not a point until we cross from life into death and we're on the other side that it is not possible for someone to come to Christ and for their life to change. And so I want to encourage you in that, and I speak to my own heart in this about people that I know about and care about and pray for and sometimes quit praying for, let's be honest, as time goes on, because there's almost the sense that, well, you know, <laughs> we know, right? It, 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 and we know it here that it's possible, but in the heart to believe that it's possible that God can reach that individual and save them and turn their life around. Never give up hope for that friend, that coworker, your child that is straying, a grandchild, a parent even, that they're not so far gone that the gospel and the Holy Spirit can't reach them and change their life and turn their life around. We deal with, <laughs> we have a God that does things that we think, humanly speaking, are impossible. We have a God that can do that. And so we need to pray like that. And I'm not talking about, you know, we are the ones that have the power to speak that into, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to pray to a God who we know can change people's lives. Even that we think can't happen, God can do it. This is what Jesus is saying now to the disciples after this guy walks away. I don't know what happened to this rich young ruler. We don't, right? I think we make the assumption that he went away and he never came to Christ. And at that point, certainly in this story, that's true. And I'm not suggesting that later on he came to Jesus and he got saved, but maybe he did, right? Maybe he was one of the ones in the day of Pentecost that responded as the, the apostles preached the gospel. We don't know. What we know is that God can deal with people that we think no way they can be reached. God can change their lives. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. Don't quit going before God for that person. The Lord can do it. I may have shared the story with you, and if I did, forgive me. This happened just in the fall. Um, there's a there's a, a couple that we knew uh, at Lamab for many years, and and when we first went there. She got saved. She had she had breast cancer, and she was anyway. She, was, she came to Christ, and um, eventually she got baptized. and And uh, we've stayed close to them, Jackie and I, over the years. We would visit with them back and forth in their home. The first time when she got saved, and I went to the house and I talked to her husband about shared the gospel with him and was explaining what his wife had done. And I and I I talked about sin, and he said to me, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, and with just deadlocked eyes, not a flinch, nothing. I've never sinned. And, and he's probably the only person, maybe a couple, that I remember just so, and he was completely sincere that in his mind he thought he had never sinned. And I remember thinking in that moment, this, this is a lost cause, right? I mean, if this guy, and we shared a bit more and we talked, anyway, over the years, spending time with him, visiting with him, praying with him, every time we were there, before we'd leave, we'd pray with them. And um, just in the fall, I was speaking at Lamab, and uh, I said to Jackie, why don't we drop in and see Bob and 
Diane before we go home, and so we were heading home in the afternoon, and we stopped in, and she, we had talked to her at the chapel before anyway, so we came in, and we sat down, and we said, don't make anything, and she always has a whole bunch of food on the table, that's just classic, but anyway, we had this little snack, had a cup of tea, and I prayed with them at the end, I always do that, and I, I got up, I, I said, well, I said, we have to go, and I stood up to go, and, and Bob says, does baptism get you to heaven? just out of the blue. And you got to know what this guy's like. Like, this is like, not, and I'm just like, in that moment, I'm stunned. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going somewhere. So I sat down. And we got into a conversation about baptism and what it means and what it, getting to heaven and the gospel. And his two sisters had died within, uh, I think it was within four months of each other, two of his sisters had died. And, and where I'm going with all this, he was ready to get saved over 20 years from the first conversation about the gospel. Now, after all of that time, and, and, and in my mind, and you know, I, I, don't, I can't say that I came to a point where I gave up, but, but the story is simply to reinforce, Jack and I drove away that day and said, how did that happen? Like, where did that come from? It was God's Holy Spirit preparing him. You know, we sow seeds, we plant, it is a process, right? Like, like I have a garden, I don't stick a seed in the ground and the next day go out and pull cucumbers off of it or tomatoes or whatever. It takes time, right? And, and, and we plant, and so as we share the gospel and we sow and we are kind to people and we love people and we spend time with people because we love them and we want them to come to know Christ as Savior, sometimes it takes a long time but we believe it in god's hands for him to do the work but never give up hope never give up hope all things are possible with god when with men this is impossible with god all things are possible i had one more slide and i'm not i don't have time i took too much time on that last one and i'm just going to mention it wondering if the sacrifice is worth it the disciples Peter picking up on Jesus talking about the reward and, and Peter says, hey, we, like, like we've left everything, Lord. And Jesus reminds him of, of the reward and, and, and we can, you can, maybe Peter was being selfish in this, but I, but I, I don't know if it was so much that as the logic of, of realizing that, you know, what they had given up for the Lord, there was going to be a reward for them. And the Lord reinforces that. Yeah, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be blessed. It's beautiful, isn't it? And I, ask, I put it this way, is it worth it to sacrifice for Jesus Christ? Is it worth it to give up whatever it might be for him? The price that we might pay, it can be a lot. Is it worth it? There's a day coming, we will be around his throne, and I've got the verse highlighted there, Revelation 4, we will be around his throne. There it talks about the 24 elders casting their crowns before the throne and what are their what are they saying around the throne what will we say when we're around the throne of jesus oh man that was i wish i wouldn't have done that for jesus you know like ah oh, that just took so long and it was so tiring and that person was so annoying and i <laughs> i i would you know i just wish i wouldn't have given that for the lord the way i don't think any of us are going to say that in that moment are we it, it, there's going to be this overwhelming sense that he is so worth it and it is he is so worthy that we would give everything to him if we could see from that perspective our life now wouldn't we live differently wouldn't we live more sacrificially for the kingdom of god and i'm going to stop 
and we'll leave it there. Heavenly Father, bring your word again into our hearts and lives the way we need to hear it this morning. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak from your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that it is not what we do that saves us. It is Christ that saves us. This is our faith in him, our belief in him, our willingness to follow him, to give, surrender ourselves to him. And so, Father, we just pray, Father, I pray for someone that needs the Lord Jesus this morning, that they would see who he is and they, they would be willing to surrender to him. Father, we just pray now and I ask for your blessing on your word and on your people. Thank you for bringing us here together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.